You're listening to Lake Norman Talk with Jonathan Weiner and Chuck Austin. Unscripted and real conversations with business leaders and marketing pros. Chuck, we're back in the studio, this time with Cindy Utzinger, who's an occupational therapist and author of the new book, Why Is My Kid Doing That? Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So for those out there that have no idea what an OT does, tell us a little bit about that. So an OT can work in a, in a variety of different settings. Um, you you know, outpatient rehab in, in hospitals, um, in workplace, work environments, um, home health, et cetera. Um, I'm in pediatrics. And so it's sometimes hard to def, um, delineate between occupational and physical therapy. Um, in some settings, people will say that um, occupational therapy works with the upper body, physical therapy works with the lower body. Um, in pediatrics, well, I'll say the the thing that defines occupational therapy is the word occupation. And it's not about your job. It's your occupation is what you do in your daily life. So whether it's you're a mom, you're a kid, you're a businessman, whatever it is, occupational therapy helps the person helps rehabilitate a person to get back to their occupation. Like my occupation of eating donuts earlier. (laughs) I, I, I think I just got back to that. So the book that you have out, this is why did my kid? Why is my kid doing that? Yes. Right. So, what is the basis of the book? What's the premise of the book? So the premise of the book is um, I want to help people to understand the why. I'm a why person. Um, I need to under I need to understand why, um, and I like to teach why. So I wanted parents, teachers, counselors to understand the why behind what they're seeing in their children's behavior. So the full title is why is my kid doing that? A sensory approach to understanding my child's behavior. Um, So I want parents to understand that when they see quirky behaviors, when they see um, red flags, that a lot of times it goes back to the sensory system. They're not bad kids. They don't, um, they don't necessarily always require a diagnosis. Um, that it is, it's the sensory system that is involved. So I wanted to really just break that down, explain the sensory system, um, and give, give um, again, parents, educators, um, tools to know what to do to help. That's really interesting. So I don't have children. I know Chuck has two boys. Um, so I'm always fascinated when I like to people watch. I like to study and learn and watch behavior just wherever I go. And when I see kids... You know, could be, I don't know how old of uh, children you're treating, but like 5 to 10, acting a certain way in a restaurant, for example, without two donuts, Chuck. And then there's other kids acting another way. So you're touching on the why. Is a lot of it, though, based on the environmental behavior that they're picking up from their parents and what they see and what they watch? Do you get into that aspect of it or... Um, not so much. I mean, certainly that does play a role. Um, certainly we can model do's and don'ts for kids, but you can have very calm, you know, gentle mannered parents and very wild children. So, um, there's not always a a big connection there, but there can be. Sometimes. There can be. So where do you, where are you finding? I know this isn't like 
let's diagnose on the podcast uh, hypothetical, but a lot of times, you know, you're again, back to the why, what do you, what are some of the reasons why that's a great example, why that occurs? So what are you seeing out there? So to give you, um, summarize my book in a nutshell, in a nutshell, um, so I talk a lot about, um, I compare development to a pyramid, um, and, the, and you need a very strong foundation to your pyramid so it doesn't topple over. So I explain that the, um, the very bottom of the pyramid is your DNA, which we can't change. The next layer is your reflex integration, which is another deep subject. And then the next big layer of the foundation is the sensory system. That foundation has to be good and strong. If it's not, the, the, the blocks at the top of the pyramid, the building blocks at the top, um, your emotional and behavioral regulation, your motor skills will tend to fall apart. So we want that really big sensory foundation. And what's happening a lot nowadays with um, children is, Again, they don't always need a diagnosis. They just have immature sensory systems. And our society um, is kind of um, further perpetuating that. Um, you know, lack of movement, more technology. Um, you know, I, I know my parents walked uphill in snow up to their eyeballs both ways to right. school. And At our kids aren't doing that. <laughs> that's what they I'd like said. proof of that. Brent, that's you right. know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not believing half the stuff now. Especially since they lived in Florida. No. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That'd be really good. So, okay. So let's, let's, can I, I want to walk back here real mm -hmm. quick. So let, let's give me an example of like something that a child does that a parent said, oh, there's something wrong with my kid. And just give, just give me a basic example of that and, and, and what the kid was doing. And then, you know, how do you treat that? So one of the biggest examples that might resonate with a lot of listeners is a kid who can't sit still, who can't focus. Um, their teacher is saying that um, little Johnny's all over the classroom. He um, can't complete his work. He's fidgeting, you know, whatnot. So, um, and I think nowadays, again, it's um, that ADD or ADHD diagnosis is often thrown out, um, you know, pretty quickly as, um, as you know, to give, to give the why. Um, well, I want to kind of go at it that the why is more of a, of a sensory, it's more of a sensory reason. Um, and, and not to get too deep, but... Um, I compare our sensory system to coffee cups, um, that there is a just right level of coffee or just the right amount of donuts, um, too little, you're, you know, you're not awake enough, enough too much and your cup is overflowing. Well, kids have their sensory cups and you'll see some kids whose cups overflow very quickly. They've had way too much. And those are the kids that will often shut down and you'll see some avoidance type things. Um, but some kids, those kids, little Johnny who can't sit still and um, is you know, making classroom uh, making classroom time kind of tough, he sometimes has a sensory cup with a hole in the bottom and he just can't get enough. So he's constantly seeking sensory behavior. So he's moving, he's wiggling, he's touching people, he's fidgeting because he needs more. So how do you do an evaluation? So someone says, okay, hey. I, 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 I totally, I'm buying what you're saying. 
So how do you evaluate? So you have to do an evaluation of that child, right? And then after you evaluate, so then what are, what are the methods? Uh, you know, what are just give me an example of a method that you would use to help that child. So. Uh, one of the big things is, um, so, you know, when we evaluate, we kind of, we again, we want to figure out the why. So we will do a lot of, um, and a lot of that is parental um, input or teacher input. We want to um, really know what's going on on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, so we, we want to get to the why. Um, our evaluation also... Um, entails really looking into the the visual system. Um, A lot of these kids with, um, uh, you know, that can't sit still, can't focus, or avoiding work in the classroom, a lot of times we find out it's their their visual system that isn't working right. They might have 20-20 eyesight, but vision's more than good eyesight. So we want to look and see how well their eyes are working for them. And, And that's not really in our scope of expertise. You know, that's something we refer people out to. Uh, for people out for, but um, but then again, once we kind of uncover the whys and, and make sure there um, isn't something else going on to treat little Johnny, we would want to really create a sensory lifestyle. Um, we used to talk more about sensory diets, and you know we know diets don't work. We need to create sensory lifestyles in these children. So. Um, we need kids moving. We need them on swings. We need them upside down. We need them jumping, rolling, getting dirty, um, playing in the mud. We need them off of technology and um, just really exploring the world around them. Um, so we, we, d- we create a sensory lifestyle um, as kind of a means to help really develop that sensory system, develop that sensory foundation. And then we also work at... Um, figuring out what compensatory strategies we we need to use. So um, what strategies can we use to help in the classroom so that he can get the sensory input he needs in a non-disruptive, appropriate way? Um, How do we make little Johnny sit still in a restaurant to where he's not um, bouncing off the wall? So, So we also work to figure out what kind of compensatory strategies will work for that child. Yeah, it's really it's interesting because I'm sure I don't know how long you've been doing this, but um, you know the circumstances today is quite different than you know when Chuck and I were or, or a kid, right? In mm-hmm. terms of what you mentioned earlier, I call them WMDs, weapons of mass distraction <laughs> right. uh, of of these phones and tablets and whatnot, and every kid's playing games, and it's yeah, it's like let's engage with mm-hmm. another breathing human being. That'd mm-hmm. be nice mm-hmm. for a, for a change. Um, but I want to go back for a second to. Just understanding a little bit about your um, profession, because I have a client, um, and I ended up becoming a client. Um, yeah, they they uh, had two PTs in their physical therapists. I had no idea, Chuck, that physical therapists have doctorate degrees. Like, it blew my mind. I didn't know. Wow. So, um, with being an occupational therapist, for those out there that have never worked with one, don't know what that word means. Talk about the the requirements and the education and your background, how long you've been doing it, you know, that kind of thing. Well, so this is going to, um, I'm going to age myself here, but um, when I went to school, um, it was it was a bachelor's degree. So it, um, it was six years of schooling, but it was just a bachelor's degree. Now, 
occupational therapy is a master's degree. So you get your four years of undergrad and then go on for the master's program. So, um, and, and the physical therapy is a doctorate program. So, um, so it is different now from when I went through school. Um, another avenue though, though, for people who are interested in the field, it's, it's such an amazing field. And I, um, we have a lot of students come and shadow us and hang out with us. And I always encourage young women to us. It's a great profession for girls to get into who want a career, but still want to be a mother. Um, you know, you can work part time and, um, and have a really fulfilling career, but still be a mother. Um, and, but another avenue that some people who want to get into the profession, but don't necessarily want to go through the schooling is the OT assistant mm. program. Um, and the, the big difference is just that they cannot do evaluations. They can only do, they do treatments, but that's not to say the OT assistants aren't every bit as good as the Sure. Um, occupational therapist. So uh, let's get real now. What's your favorite part about what you do? Just one thing, your favorite part. I would say my favorite part is giving parents hope. I love to see the light bulbs go off when they come in and they're like, oh, my kid has been doing this, this, and this, and, you know, and they're just exasperated. And when, you know, to be able to educate them and say there is hope and it's not – I think what happens is they, you know, we start to put band-aids on different problems. Well, okay, they've got bad handwriting, so let's get handwriting help. Or they're not doing good in school. Let's get a tutor. Um, you know, let's put them in Taekwondo. You know, so there's, um, and not that any of those things are bad, but um, they just start putting band-aids on the problems, and band-aids can get expensive and time-consuming. Um, so can so, Taekwondo. So can Taekwondo, yeah. right? So I love giving parents hope. And just when that light bulb goes off, and I often hear, if I would have only known. And, and I, you know, I, I just, I love when they have that moment. Sure. And that moment of hope, that there is hope and there is something that can be done. What's, your, what's the hardest part of your job or your least favorite thing about it? The hardest part... <laughs> That's a good question. Um, well, because I work with a lot of very energetic kids um, that can require a lot of energy on my part. Um, so there are days that I go home and my poor kids, I've got nothing left to give them because I'm exhausted. Um, and I think the hardest part is when um, it's... It, you know, again, we live very busy lives and parents are overwhelmed as it is. And I think when you, when you, you know, try to create that sensory lifestyle, I do feel like it can be overwhelming at first. Um, so I, I hate seeing those overwhelmed parents of, oh, I've got to do this. But I think we really work with them then to realize it's very doable. And it doesn't mean you're sitting with your child doing activities with them all day you can create you can create a setup to where they can do it for themselves so is it <clears throat> yeah i was going to add that's that leads into what i was going to ask you about the environment that you give the children because each of them have their own set of circumstances own set of issues that you, you'd have to work with them on but the overall environment in a home is, is it just too much tv is it not enough calm 
it seems like we always have to have, and from what I observed, there's always got to be something to entertain us or amuse us. Like we're in a in an amusement society where we always have to be entertained. And I see a lot of moms, maybe this is just me, but they feel like they have to entertain their kids 24-7. And sometimes being bored and calm and observing the universe mm-hmm. <laughs> or the outside of the house or just looking at a tree or doing something, uh, or, or maybe I would have to develop my own creativity and sit there and be bored for three days, and then on the fourth day, actually decide I, I need to t- do something. Is that is, is are these some of the things that you would recommend? Certainly, I do feel like, and I I don't want to ever make a parent feel bad about screens. Um, you know, I'm a mom. I get it. My kids do watch TV, and they do. Um, play video games. We just really try to limit it. Um, You know, they have to be mixed in with lots of playtime. So as far as an environment goes, I don't think that what we promote is calm necessarily. Um, I think it's, it's to answer the boredom, yes, kids need to be bored. Boredom is when critical thinking skills evolve, problem solving evolves. Again, they just have to um, be creative. What am I going to do? And and, you know, I see it myself um, that nowadays I do feel as parents, we do um, try to keep our kids entertained more, I think, in an effort to keep them off of screens. And I always say, I'm like, I, why am I entertaining my kids? You know, I, I don't I don't feel like it should be our role to entertain their kids. I know my parents certainly didn't entertain me, but if it means keeping them off of screens, then we certainly do. But Um, But again, going back to the environment, I think one of the things that we need to be okay with is our homes not looking perfect. Um, Our homes need to be a little bit of a playground um, or, or, you know, maybe a room is set aside for that. Um, I do like to set aside a place, we call it a time in versus a time out. So you're not in trouble. You came home from school today and I can see you're really overwhelmed. Why don't you go to your time in spot that is your place of calm? Um, But I think we need to kind of have homes where our kids get to just be silly and playful. And, and I am not promoting this, but you know, in my home, my kids, we, they hoverboard, they rollerblade, they rip stick. Um, you know, we don't use outdoor toys inside, um, cause we don't want to ruin the floors, but, um, but they just go in circles around their house. And, you know, we have a little trampoline and an exercise ball. My daughter sits on the exercise ball to eat dinner instead of sitting on a kitchen chair. Um, you know, my daughter hangs upside down to read, to do her school reading. Um, it's really letting kids really explore with their bodies and, and explore within, when they are at home, exploring within the home and getting to really be kids within the home. That's great. So, Cindy, tell everyone how they can find you, learn more about your book when it comes out. So, um, if, if you're interested in occupational therapy services for your child or just learning more as far as that goes, um, so I am at Lake Norman Children's Therapy in Cornelius, um, and you can look us up and give us a call. We have a great group of um, speech therapists, physical therapists, physical therapists, counselors, 
um, etc. And if you uh, are interested in the book, it um, is on Amazon, or you can find me uh, at www.cindyutzinger.com.